Welcome to episode 44 of season 2 of the Search with Canda podcast. My name is Jack Chambers-Ward and I am your host for this week. This week I am joined by the utterly fantastic Daniel K. Chung. You may know Daniel from his fantastic tweets, one of my favourite people to follow in all of SEO Twitter, and you may also know Daniel from his various SEO podcasts throughout his career, including the recently launched, early this year, Dreading Sundays podcast, which is Maybe my favourite week-to-week SEO podcast going at the moment. I really, really love Daniel's style and the way he interviews. He's had fantastic guests. He tackles interesting topics. And yeah, overall, Daniel, one of my favourite people to listen to and read talking about SEO in general. Daniel is a SEO consultant and organic growth educator based in Sydney in Australia. And we have a very, very interesting conversation about how empathy is important when it comes to doing technical SEO and basically understanding different types of empathy and how that can relate to what you're doing on your website or on your client's websites and why that is important for you to understand as part of your SEO work, essentially. Before we get into my conversation with Daniel K. Chung, of course, I'd like to give a little thanks to the wonderful sponsor of this episode, Systrix, because Systrix are the official support for Search with Canda and Systrix are known as the SEO's toolbox. You can go to systrix.com slash SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their SERP snippet generator, href lang validator, checking out your site's visibility index, and of course, tracking Google updates for your website. I mentioned some fantastic features last week when talking about their domain comparison stuff that they now have added to the Systrix toolbox, which I highly, highly recommend you go and check out if you would like to subscribe to Systrix and become a user of the toolbox has been invaluable for me and my clients to be having a look at their visibility and understanding patterns and trends and being able to compare SERPs and compare competitor performance and all that kind of stuff. It is really, really good and they've been doing some fantastic work recently in adding new features. What Systrix also do is fantastic stuff when it comes to their blogging side of things as well. And there's one piece in particular I'd like to highlight this week, written by the one and only Steve Payne who we've had on the show previously, Steve, over at Systrix, is doing a content marketing case study. And it sounds like a very obvious and simple thing, because it is. Steve dives into what seems to be a fairly straightforward blog structure for an insurance company called William Russell Insurance. And it is just a kind of testament to how you can lay the groundwork and keep building upon simple straightforward clean seo and they have created content consistently for a very very long time now going on since the sort of like end of 2020 coming on to 2022 and not only do we get systrix data we also get some of their google search console data from the from the client from william russell themselves directly they dive into what has been successful and why this basically long-term sustainable strategy has worked so well for them it's something I know we worked with with clients here at Canda. It's something we've worked with. I know I've previously worked for insurance clients as well, and this is a perfect example of how a blog, essentially just a straightforward blog, but 
handled really well, built really well, and maintained and managed very, very well with a clear content strategy can really still perform in 2022. Sometimes the simple stuff works and you don't have to do anything crazy or fancy to get meaningful content that ranks and works and produces produces growth essentially for your website. So highly recommend you go and check out that. As always, the link for that will be in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. If you'd like to keep up with Systrix's blogging stuff, you can go to systrix.com slash blog. If you'd like to keep up with Trendwatch, which I know we'll be talking about in a few weeks as well, that is their monthly newsletter, which is delivered straight to your inbox, featuring all the latest trends. You can go to systrix.com slash trends. That's systrix.com slash trends for Trendwatch and systrix.com slash blog for the fantastic content marketing analysis provided by Steve and the data journalism team over at Systrix. Thank you, Systrix, once again, for your continued support of the Search with Canada podcast. And without any further ado, welcome to the show, Daniel K. Chung. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, Jack. Thanks for having me. I'm a bit tired from work, but uh, you know, life is life is good. I can't good, complain. good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> we were just saying this before we started recording. It is late on a Friday for you, so apologies, listeners, if we are both a bit tired. We've both had busy weeks. It's Friday morning for me because I'm here in the UK, but Daniel, you're all the way in Australia, the literal other side of the world for me here in the UK. So, yeah, it's uh, apologies if it's a bit of a Friday energy to this podcast. <laughs> We'll bring some good energy, don't you worry. But for the listeners who don't know who you are, first of all, shame on them for not knowing who you are already. But just in case they don't, please give us a little intro for the listeners who don't know who Daniel K. Chung is. Oh, let's see. Where do I start? I was born in... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Dan. Uh, I go by various things like Daniel K. Chung, DKC, whatever. You call me whatever. I've been called all sorts of things. DKC is pretty cool, by the way. Yeah, DKC. just go by D- DKC is like a rap name. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of fell into search by accident, well, purposeful accident, almost four years ago. And so that's a very short time in SEO. And from there, I've gone from someone who knew very little and was earning minimum wage to now being earning, you know, six figures in an in-house role. So I started agency side in a junior content and SEO role where, you know, the only experience I had was running my own WordPress website because I was a wedding photographer for like 10 years prior to that. And in a very short three and a half years, I learned a lot about SEO and then also about mentoring and leadership. And that's how I got to command the salary that I do. Um, So yeah, I... I fell into SEO mainly because I needed to support my wife and I. We got married and being a wedding photographer just wasn't that financially stable or responsible. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, she, for those who don't know, probably all of you, she is a childcare worker, specifically a nanny. So, you know, it was quite painful for me to see her just exchanging her time for money and being so exhausted and feeling like I wasn't contributing. And so I stopped being an, and I'm using air quotes, an entrepreneur. 
<laughs> or a small business owner or a founder or whatever those cool titles you self-prescribe <laughs> and went back to the workforce. And that was me four years ago. Now I work in-house at Australia's second largest telecommunication company where I don't really do much SEO, but we can dive into that later. <laughs> we will definitely dive into that. And perhaps most excitingly for me, you are the host of one of my favorite podcasts, the Dreading Sundays podcast. In case wow. the listeners don't yes. know who that is, yes. please yes. do give a little intro to Dreading Sundays as well. Because okay. we've actually got some crossover with some guests. I've stolen some of your guests you've you, had you on. You sure have and... poached them, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I know we've, uh, I've already spoken to Jamar. Listeners, you will have already had oh, that episode. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Jamar Ramos is the man. And basically, after we fi- I finished the podcast with Jamar, we basically just geeked out about how much we like you and your podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a big... Dan love fest, so you know. <laughs> oh wow! I, I dreading Sundays came about because you know after three and a half years working agency, going from the bottom to almost pretty much the top, uh, I decided to test the waters just for lols. Am I worth anything in the market? And I saw you know the biggest bank in Australia having uh, head of SEO. Actually, it wasn't head of SEO. It was just an SEO manager role. And so I applied for that, and that was just before Christmas twenty twenty one uh and then i didn't get through so i i got the interview process and and i thought i interviewed well uh but for whatever reason i i didn't interview well because i hadn't practiced very well for at least four years and so i felt a bit annoyed by that and frustrated i was like i actually started to really want to get this in-house job at a bank and so that started this feeling that well a seed growing inside me of maybe i'm not so happy agency side and and i couldn't quite figure out why because you know very grateful to what everything james the founder of prosperity media had had given to me and all the opportunities that i had but at at the same time i was a little bit disenfranchised with everything like i i didn't really see a future apart from you know i could keep asking for more money but there was that missing thing and being a typical like millennial you know fulfillment is a big thing uh, as part of my life and that is if i keep rocking up and hating what i do uh, then what's the point? And I want, you know, I'm not earning millions, so it's not really quite there. And so thus started this quest of trying to find an in-house role because strangely enough, over here, at least in Australia, in-house SEOs are seen as better, again, in air quotes, than agency. And I know having spoken to many others, people feel as though in-house SEOs are boring and don't know as much. But over here, it's quite different. You have to have a lot of agency experience before you can get an in-house role, at least a mid to senior role. And so coming back to your original question of where Dreading Sundays came from, it's that, you know, I think it's called the Sunday Scaries or the Monday Blues. And for those of you who are listening who work a standard nine to five, you know, Monday to Friday, you know that feeling. Sometimes it creeps up on you Sunday midday, sometimes even Saturday evening. And you're already like, shit, I have to go to work on Monday. <laughs> and that's that feeling, dreading Sundays. It's it's a play on Sunday scaries or Monday blues where you don't really look forward to the work week. And why I want to have this podcast called this is because I want to break that. And that is empowering people who want to work or are working in digital marketing, whether it's search or SEM or anything else, to learn and hear from others who have managed to progress their careers. Sometimes it's from, from you know being the best at what you do. In other areas, it's about being a great 
person in the workplace. You don't necessarily have to be the smartest or the quickest. As long as someone else who looks like you and sounds like you has carved out that space before you, then that pretty much gives you the impetus to go, hey, maybe I can as well. Maybe you can't make that change right now, but at least you know someone else has done that and you can take the required steps to reach your own goal so that you stop hating Mondays. And, you know, <laughs> Crawling Mondays is already taken by another amazing SEO later, so therefore it became Sunday Squares <laughs> or Trading Sundays. Excellent. And I think you've done a fantastic job, by the way, of highlighting so many underrepresented groups and stuff like that and making sure you're having those kind of guests on that's something i've very consciously tried to do since i've kind of taken over the show from mark and things like that and we're we're kind of more active and recruiting more guests and stuff like that including you know talking about different types of diversity and people's journeys through seo and all that kind of stuff so i think you're doing an awesome job and if you aren't listening to dreading sundays already listener i don't know how much more i can endorse it it's like my favorite seo podcast so go and listen to it dan's fantastic thank you and you have like a voice for podcasting. I don't know how else to word it. It's you just, just called smooth... me ugly, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can see you. You have a voice for radio. You're a handsome man. <laughs> and so you have a face for podcasting. You have that smooth Aussie tone to it. Like there's a lot of like big Aussie podcasters and stuff. I don't know if that's there's some kind of I don't know friendliness to the Australian accent, maybe. And there's there's a reassurance to your kind of calming tone on Dreading Sundays. I think. Thank you. I don't know if Australian <laughs> and soothing accent goes well. well unless but, you yeah. go full bogan, mate, then maybe. Oh, mate. <laughs> I, I won't be doing the accent, I hasten to add. But we are here to talk about something a little bit different, not quite just talk about how much we enjoy each other's podcasts and stuff. That We could do that, but that would be a bit of a dodgy listen for the listeners. We're actually going to dive into something pretty interesting, and it's a topic you brought up straight away as soon as we were kind of in contact and you worded it in a really interesting way and i want to delve into that as well specifically thinking about empathy and how that relates to seo and the way you worded it specifically was what has empathy got to do with technical seo specifically and i find that fascinating as a topic straight away i, I love that you just came with this super high concept just straight out the gate Cool, let's dive into it. <laughs> All right, so, let's get into it. <laughs> should we start off by kind of defining empathy and I guess why you want to talk about it on the show? Let, let's start with that, why you brought it as the topic for this podcast. Because like you said, okay, you're yeah. not often on the other side of the mic, right? So yeah, this yeah. is an opportunity for you to talk about something you're passionate about, you want to talk about, and maybe you don't get an opportunity to as the main host of your own show. Sure. So I won't give my own definition of empathy. Uh I think it can mean many things and and a, a lot of the traditional saying of empathy is, you know, walk in a million miles or a thousand miles in someone else's shoes. It's not quite that, but it is understanding someone else's context and situation. And that's the difference between empathy and sympathy. And And the whole thing of me embracing empathy was even before I was a wedding photographer, I actually studied speech pathology or in other words, speech therapy. And that was a very client-focused type of learning where everything that you did, whether you're planning a session or reacting to a client was based on how they were presenting. So you could plan for something, but that, you know, the client comes in and they're totally different. So you have to adjust. And so coming back to SEO and specifically technical SEO. I think all of us have, whether we're juniors starting out or very experienced, we've all done audits 
And when it comes to tech SEO, the words checklist and audits and technical SEO are very intertwined. But those are just deliverables. Those are just processes that we as practitioners of SEO do. When you're the client who's paying for something, a checklist is meaningless, as is an audit per se. What they're really paying you for is the expertise to go through your checklist and to identify things that are important to them in their immediate context, depending on why they hired you in the first place. And sometimes the reason why they hired you may not be the priorities or the recommendations that you actually commit to, because you're the expert. You're the one who is using the data, looking at their business and going, uh, okay, crawling's okay, rendering's okay, indexing's okay. So what else really is the matter here? Okay, maybe they wanted you for a you know, technical audit sweep or whatever they call it, because they don't really know what else. Just find what's wrong. And you could be the typical S and go, oh, here are like a million things. Or you've, you've used Screaming Crawl, or you use Systrix, or you've used any of the SEO suites out there to identify any of the possible issues. Using your brain, when I say use empathy for technical SEO, it's what exactly does the client need to hear? Not necessarily what they want to hear, but what do they need to hear so that they can achieve their goals? That really is empathy in technical SEO. You could pretty much say your executive summary should be very empathy driven. That is, you specify what the problem is, you specify what the recommendation is and why they need to care about it. And that really is it. All the other stuff you can not tell them or just put in the appendix because that is good to know, but that's not why they need you right now. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it because I touched on audits with Alda Zazechner, who I had on the show a few weeks ago, and thinking about kind of going through that process. And we were both talking about how important that manual review process is and how so many people, like you say, rely on the checklist or rely on the tools a bit too much and don't actually think about not only what the client needs, but what the users and the audience for that client need as well. What bumps in the road are they going to hit when they land on that website? Oh, this is your most popular landing page. Funnily enough, it doesn't have this barrier to accessibility that these other pages on your site do, for example. And I think you're totally right trying to look at it from a few different sides as well and different types of empathy. Uh, I did a little bit of research and kind of came up with some definitions of different types of empathy and stuff like that. And I think we can You've already touched on most of them straight away, but I think giving the audience a kind of an idea and understanding the client's website as well from these perspectives. So the three types, and this is from the book Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, talking about cognitive empathy, which is the example you gave, Dan, with like putting yourself in another person's shoes and trying to stand their point of view. Emotional empathy is trying to feel what they feel. Like you said, that's kind of the, the opposite end of sympathy, right? That's that emotional connection to it. and then. I think this is where it comes into the client relationship side of things is the empathic concern where you're trying to understand what they need from you as as a as a human being let alone as a deliverable right <laughs> yeah. and I think understanding user journeys and exploring a website as a user like the first time you say you're first working with a client or it's your first time like doing an audit for this in-house role or whatever it is looking at a website for the first time I always, always, always do a manual review first before I start playing around with tools. So you get an idea of what is the user experience? What do people landing on this site out essentially out of the blue from a search engine and not knowing the context of the company or anything like that and trying to understand 
kind of like user context there. And I think that ties into, I know something Mark has talked about a lot as like the golden rule of SEO is that any SEO improvements should not hinder the user experience. Because at the end of the day, you want to get more users, you want to make more money, make more conversions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So do you think there are kind of common pitfalls people bump into when they kind of rely on tools too much and don't think can think about that kind of audience experience from the other side? Do you think that's a fairly common thing in technical SEO? It's very, very. Because <laughs> cause it, it's how we've learned how to identify mm. these problems. As SEOs, we become really good at finding problems. And we even know what the solution is as a one-line recommendation. And this is the hard lesson I had to learn when I went in-house for a big enterprise company that has a very expensive tech stack with many different touch points is that, you know, saying, oh, you should use server-side rendering instead of client-side rendering. To you, that sounds easy, like it's an easy fix, but to the company, it's that's actually not a, that's not even a recommendation. It's like, do you even know who's working in the tech stack? We have like 60 employees, <laughs> front-end devs who are doing this and back-end devs. That is not a feasible recommendation. And, and so when it comes to extending empathy into technical SEO and the reporting of it, the actual deliverable as a professional, it comes down to actually, even before you start the audit, you sit down with a, you, your stakeholder who's representing mm. the client, especially if it's a large uh, organization to understand who owns what, who else do I need to be involved with? Because one of the biggest mistakes I've realized retrospectively that I made at agency side, even though I was working for these big brands was the deliver or well, the recommendations I was making never got implemented because the people <laughs> who actually could do it were never involved in the discussion. Mm. And that stakeholder I was talking to probably didn't even know who was responsible for it. So right now I'm in a massive organization where there's squads in agile and, and it's like, even I don't know how actually I, I do know it just takes time to find the right person to get shit mm. done. And if you're working at an agency or, or as a freelancer or a consultant, those are the first things you should ask as part of your discovery onboarding, as opposed to jumping into a bunch of recommendations that will fall flat because the people who will consider it and need to then prioritize it and size it and get an ROI estimate, they're not in the conversation. And therefore that's why nothing gets done. And that's why, you know, the contract doesn't get renewed. <laughs> Again, empathy. It's understanding what the other person at the other end, and more importantly, what their bosses and their bosses' mm. bosses care about. It's not about yeah. the technical SEO. No one cares about that except for us. <laughs> How do we make more money? Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's something I know we both touch on. We've both spoken to Tom Critchlow on our respective podcasts, and Tom is such a fantastic person to to talk about for that kind of stuff and understanding the language you should be using and how to understand speaking to executives and the different relationships you can have, whether, you know, working with a client and you're speaking to their content writer and you're recommending everything to a person who's been on the job for six weeks and they know less about the site than you do. Or you could be speaking to the founder of the company who built the original site single-handedly and, you know, now it's a multi-million, as you were saying, Dan, like this huge conglomerate or whatever it is. And I think understanding the difference between again, people's different understandings, their level and the lack the lack of understanding an SEO or understanding an SEO, depending on where they're coming from. And speaking to external developers is the bane of my life working in an agency, as I'm sure plenty, plenty of people can relate to and trying to understand their flow and relate to where they are. And, oh yeah, we have resources. They're serving, you know, 15 other clients as well. And 
where this client is my priority, but not necessarily their priority. And then when it is their priority, they're not my priority. Trying to weigh all this stuff up, I find so, yeah, so interesting in the agency side of things. And when you're coming to that kind of conclusion, what kind of approach do you take, you know, from your agency experience to have that conversation with the developers? Do you just literally try and get them in the door? So all the people that need to be involved in that conversation are there as much as possible? That is the ideal situation. <laughs> it, it comes with a lot of uh, angst and frustration of <laughs> these developers are shit. But, you know, that, that doesn't help anyone. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But it's having that conversation first. Well, first it's finding out who are the people who can implement it. And if they're external devs, great. Sometimes that's better than someone who's internal because sometimes they have that incentive to get stuff done. And then, you know, it's getting stuff done as I have found in life, not just SEO, is it's really about the connections you make and the impression, that first impression you have. Don't burn those bridges. Like SEOs... <laughs> SEO shit on developers a lot, but at the same time, you know, if we haven't really, again, come down to empathy, if we haven't done what they do on a daily basis, then we don't really understand the full picture of why they do things a certain way. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we need to educate, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's just telling them, this is the problem. It's here. This is how we recommend that you fix it. Do you think it's feasible? many of them are just like, okay, great. They just action it. That's fine. I think <laughs> like Jamal would have talked about ego. It's once you bring ego into it, that's when you have issues. When everyone's just doing their job, essentially, whether it's a developer or you're listening, you work in an agency, you're just there to do your best work. Everyone wants to do their best work. So remove those barriers. And a lot of those barriers come from ego, unfortunately. So drop that and just write an objective, impartial recommendation of what needs to be done. Easier said than done on some days, especially <laughs> when you think it's such an easy fix. Like coming back to my site that I do, like uh, my in-house role, there are certain things that most SEOs will be like, I can't believe you don't have this on your page or in your code. <laughs> I can't believe it as well. But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... That ties nicely into, you know, thinking about, again, again, like you said, touching on ego and things like that and trying to strip away your relationship with the company and you already knowing that context and, and thinking about the user experience now, that I think that is so key to so much accessibility. And that's something uh, I know, again, we've both touched on with, with previous guests on our podcast and things like that and how important accessibility is and how underutilized and underrepresented it is in so many different ways and that could be something as simple as you know correct alt text on images so visually impaired users can use screen readers correctly and are able to understand that i did an experiment i think it was a couple of years ago now and installed a screen reader and i was like i will close my eyes and experience this website as a visually impaired user oh my god <laughs> there were some serious serious problems and i think doing little things like that may have made a huge difference to me understanding you know different user experiences and different user journeys is there anything you can recommend from your experience down of like those little bits and pieces you can better understand user journeys from both from a technical seo point of view and accessibility point of view as well i think accessibility is is hugely underrepresented 
and it's not because a lot of SEOs don't care about it. We do. It's then when we make that recommendation or that suggestion, the the pushback is how is this going to impact business? Mm. When you have competing tickets to complete, that is the hardest thing. And when you don't have an accessibility advocate with within that client or within your organization, it's a very difficult conversation. All you can really do is pull up the national stats on how many people have X, Y, Z and go, this is the population that you're missing out on, that you are underserving and begin those conversations. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, when it comes to business, and this is me being very, very cynical, they only <laughs> care about the bottom line. And at, fortunately in the EU, you have, I think EU, or is it in Canada or in Northern America, they have substantial fines if you don't meet certain accessibility things. Yes. Australia, we're still very behind. And that's why you still have stupid buttons instead of A tags. You just, you have all <laughs> sorts of ridiculous stuff happening that those with disabilities just cannot navigate your site, even if they wanted to. And sometimes it, it's worth maybe spending your own time demonstrating it. Maybe that's how you start that conversation and then bringing in someone external to talk about it, their experience. But at the end of the day, it comes down from the leadership. Do they care about it? And unfortunately, they will say yes, but they won't take action. So that's a reality of things, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't give up. You know, pick your battles, pick the times that you want to have a conversation about it. And when you have a conversation about it, be armed with documentation and examples. I love the idea of sitting down a CEO and being like, okay, close your eyes. You're going to experience this website as a visually impaired user or however, you know, having a completely different perspective on a website can give you such a different idea of, you know, what people are going through when, like I said, when people land essentially completely out of the blue from Google or whatever search engine they're using and just land on your website with no context and no understanding of what your goal is for them. So how do you think we can then use that kind of empathy and combine it with the technical SEO to then improve that user journey to, again, like you said, drive those conversions, get more money, be very cynical. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't have an answer. That's a big question, know. right? I have just yeah. thrown that to you out of the blue. I, I have not succeeded. <laughs> no, that's fine. I think it's absolutely fine to be vulnerable. And that is me being honest saying I have not solved that. Therefore, I, mm. I can't really say based on my experience what to do yeah I, th I think it's an interesting thing to kind of just even think about right to have a kind of conceptual idea of what your ideal user journey is and compare that to whether that's through analytics or literally getting some people to sit down and go through your website and get live data from users and again all about inclusivity include people from different backgrounds from different you know, disabilities and things like that to understand your site from different perspectives. I think that'd be a really interesting, again, all about implementation. I'd love to have the budget and the time and the, <laughs> the options to do all this kind of stuff, but not always realistic. But I think there is that element, right, of having the relatability and being able to communicate that to clients, things like that. Have you found, you know, your, your passion for empathy and your understanding of empathy useful when communicating to clients and then communicating to the higher-ups while in-house. Is there a different approach to that from your perspective? 
Yes. The answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is always it depends, I think. Oh, that, never. That's the go-to no, answer. No, no. <laughs> well, technically to that, it depends on who you're talking to. You are going to frame things a particular way depending on what your objectives are and what their objectives are. Uh, agency to a client communication can be very different from in-house to a senior leadership team but at the end of the day it comes down to the same thing and that is what is the message and how do you deliver it with the most impact and something that i've again had to learn the hard way is for whatever reason seos like to be very meticulous we like to articulate all the variables so that whoever's listening on the other end gets the full picture of the scope so that we're not like making assumptions of anything when you're communicating to a stakeholder or to someone senior, that's the very opposite of what they want to hear. <laughs> Quite often, they're after an oversimplification. And for me, that was very difficult to adopt until someone told me that as feedback. It's, Daniel, you're overcomplicating things. Just start with the oversimplified version. And if that person wants to learn more, let them ask you. Otherwise, you're going to overwhelm them with stuff and they'll be like, okay, I don't understand this. I don't understand this person. Please go away from me. <laughs> so, so which, which is really counterintuitive to how a lot of us think, especially tech SEO. We want to be very careful, very mindful of what we're saying so that we're not making baseless claims. But at the same time, if you are conveying a certain thing to someone who is quite higher up, in the food chain, then it may be better to just start with the high-level strategic overview rather than working your bottom way up and explaining every single minutiae of why their implementation of AEM, I love AEM so much, <laughs> <laughs> is not great for any experience, whether it's a bot or a human. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it comes down to what are your goals? Do you want to just get something done or do you want to sound like you know a lot of stuff? Depends, right? <laughs> I think that's a key thing for that presentation moment, right? And you were, you were so right touching on the executive summary earlier, thinking about how that intro and those opening slides, and it's something you know we've been talking about recently here at Candor and the way we kind of present to clients and doing a kind of like big annual review presentation is different to doing like a monthly report, for example, or a quarterly report or whatever it is, whatever kind of cadence you're on. And once you're at that kind of 12 month review stage, you've clearly built that, hopefully, fingers crossed, you've built the relationship with the client. <laughs> you would hope at that point. And you've got that clear understanding of the site. They understand, you know, how you're working and the dynamic there and everything like that. And you can go into a bit more detail, but I think you're totally right. Those initial especially if it's reporting to people who are not directly involved in that process and maybe are not your contact persons at the company. Like you said, you're going suddenly in the 12-month review, it's stakeholders and, and the CEO and all that kind of stuff, people you have never spoken to before and you're suddenly presenting to them. I think having that really clear executive summary, this is the high-level stuff. In the first five minutes, you get all the information you need, then you can switch off and play on your phone or pretend to take notes and doodle on your notepad or whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever it is CEOs doing in meetings. <laughs> I see yeah. you, CEOs. We see you. We know. And uh, having that kind of thing where even if it's as simple as like presenting a single piece of information per slide, that's something I think we've been really pushing here at Canada recently is 
not doing like here's all of the google analytics data here's all of the search con- search console data on one slide and like no, no no let's do one query at a time one page at a time whatever it is do you have any tips there from your presentations oh, over the years of yes. thinking about that kind of thing and how to lay things out and make things again accessible for less knowledgeable seo people and like you said higher ups and senior management buying in and that kind of thing as well yeah so reporting or presentations or dashboards all fall into the same thing your storytelling you're telling mm. a story a you need to know what that story is so that you can drive to it now when you don't know the story that's when you rely on visuals and for whatever reason we think that cluttering a page with awesome visuals graphs and <laughs> tiny text makes you look knowledgeable no that just makes you look really stupid because there's just too much going on and this goes back to the management consulting rule of thumb and that is one thing per slide what is the one message you want to communicate as you said and that's it and you know going back to tom critchlow's course executive presence and how do you communicate with the higher ups it's anyone with in the c-suite five slides that's it mm. everything else smashed in the appendix because by slide three that senior person would already be starting to ask questions and you won't even deliver the rest of your presentations that's a little <laughs> fyi for those of you who haven't been in those big meetings if someone actually has decision making powers they will start questioning everything and going to rabbit holes by slide two or three and that's fine that's where you could do showcase your expertise but that's where you don't really need to build out an extensive deck because we're not in the deck making business we're in the <laughs> how do we help you make more money through organic channel business and again it comes down to what is the problem you're trying to solve what is the problem they're trying to solve it's always going to be around money somewhere and you know for me i don't really feel as though seo is a direct marketing or sales channel unless you're affiliate but even then it's it's just a way of bringing in traffic we like i i know a lot of people say okay you can only report seo wise on revenue but a lot of the stuff look if you work for a service based business you can't really track that and that's mm. okay so you need to define what your me- measure of metric or success metric is and align that with the client are they okay with this metric as opposed to oh organic channel contributed x thousand dollars this week or last month sometimes that doesn't work for whatever business so that's okay it's just make sure that you and the client are on the same page so that when it comes to that quarterly half yearly or annual review you have all your ducks in a row you have your cadence of what you're reporting on this metric and look at this growth or at least it's not falling in a recession (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed the the cynicism (laughs) is strong um I think the, yeah. the the British pound is pretty close to the Australian dollar by the time we finish recording this podcast. So. <laughs> one to one, baby! Yay! Yeah. Yeah, woo! <laughs> it's unheard of. Back but in yeah. my day, I remember. <laughs> but yeah, like presenting is an art form. It's about not what you know, but how much of what you know you can discard, so that you can get to the brilliance of what you're good at or what your agency is known for. Because you can get there, well, you can demonstrate all you know with the questions that they'll ask or in the appendix, but always with your first slide, second slide, third slide, pretty much smash what you're trying to tell them. And that's it. And that is a lot easier said than done. 
You need to practice, <laughs> practice, practice because, you know, I said deck making isn't our forte, but ultimately when it comes to pitches and these reviews, they, they're they very, very important. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, something Tom Critchlow touches on, right, is that getting that experience, getting your foot in the door, understanding how maybe, like you said, the sales team or the the founder of the company, whoever it is who is doing those pitches and and establishing that initial connection, understanding their process and seeing how that is different to the reporting process and then to the full review process or whatever it is, however your agency works and however in-house works as well. Thinking about that and understanding that is a whole other side of empathy, right? It's understanding that client perspective I don't know if you have much experience working with clients who are quite experienced with SEO. And I know I've had that a couple of times where I kind of like in previous roles and for most of my like four or five year career, I've kind of gone through and been like mostly work with people where I am building them from the absolute ground zero. They know nothing. And I'm introducing these concepts to them during meetings, during the onboarding, all that kind of stuff. There've been a couple of clients where we were like, oh yeah, here's this data, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, yeah, we use SEMrush, we use Ahrefs, we have Search Console. We're doing all this stuff already. Have you experienced that before, Dan? And, and do you have a different approach to that from working with a brand new, less knowledgeable client to then working with a more knowledgeable client? Uh, some knowledgeable clients are great. Some <laughs> knowledgeable clients are an absolute pain in the ass. <laughs> because I, I they think they know, <laughs> and they do know, but they think they know. And, you know, there's that interesting story of, you know, you watch me work, it's cheaper than you do it. And then, oh, I can't remember, but there's this funny story oh, the, where the, the, the price, price increases. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it $500. I do it and you watch me $800. You design it and I still do it $1,000. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As someone who's knowledgeable or, well, let, let's start. There's different scenarios, right? There's, there's clients who have access to certain tools, which is great. It means that they, they, they value SEO or organic growth. That's great. Leverage that. Lean into that. It means, oh, they actually care about organic channel for their business. They have access to tools. Great. Let's use less of the data dump from these tools and help them understand how to maximize the most of these tools. Hopefully, that's what they want. And, and why else would they have these tools, right? Sometimes the agency is an Achilles heel. It's like, do you want to overtrain them so that they fire you? But at the same time, <laughs> most clients don't have time. Like the stakeholders and the point of contacts, they've got other things, many hats to wear. And if you can teach them stuff, that's great. They can take that to their next role, but they're not actually going to replace you because they physically do not have the time. So it's actually a win-win for everyone that you educate them how to make the most out of the tools that they have so that you're not necessarily doing the grunt work. You can do the analysis, you can do the consulting, you can do that high-level coaching that they require so that maybe they can hire a junior much cheaper for them and for you to crunch all that stuff and then you bring it all together. It's all about perspectives, right? And what your agency and your business model is. Uh, for the ones who are less knowledgeable, that can also be a challenge because you're, you're constantly introducing new concepts. Mm. But perhaps that's because we keep talking about SEO because that's all we care about. Maybe it doesn't have to be always in SEO terms. That's an interesting way to communicate recommendations is not calling everything SEO, SEO. That also <laughs> is a skill form. Well, it's art form. 
Uh, it's how do you get people who work in content to do aspects of SEO without it calling SEO? Because once you start talking about, you know, user-driven or search intent-driven content, then, you know, that has certain connotations of how people write. Whereas if you show them how to use certain things such as the SERPs, look at entities, use any of those awesome tools like Surfer or whatever, uh, you're essentially upskilling them to embrace certain aspects of search into their expertise. And that also helps. That that lifts the burden off you to trying to teach them SEO per se. And you're empowering them to do what they already do, but do things the way that you feel as though search is going to be served well. I think that's a really interesting thing. And I know Catherine Wateong has touched on this a few times as well, talking about that training your clients and helping them understand it. And like you said, that helps the buy-in, that helps them understand where you're coming from. And su- such an interesting thing you brought up there, like talking about SEO in a non-SEO way. Um, I recently talked to Maddie Osman about that and her writing for humans and robots, checking out how you're trying to you come at it from two perspectives. Getting SEOs to do writing is one thing, but getting writers to do SEO is another thing as well and trying to understand, you know, rather than just like, here is the page title, here is the meta description, here is all the SEO stuff, like understand, maybe call it a headline, like translate it and understand, you know, if they've worked in journalism before, that's the kind of language and the approach that they're going to be used to and be comfortable with. Whereas trying to rejig your brain, say after, you know, a decade of working in journalism and suddenly having to do SEO and transferring from you know, analog to digital, essentially. Oh, how far they've fallen. (laughs) (laughs) And understanding that process can be so key. I think that's a really, really interesting point there, Dan, like bringing that almost translational skill and understanding using different language for different people and different perspectives you're talking to and from. And yeah, can be really, really key there. I mean, it all comes down to persuasion, right? If you talk about empathy, the flip side of that, the more darker side of that is persuasion. Mm. In marketing, that's all we're trying to do. And when we think about SEO, it's it's how do you augment someone almost like inception to convince them that this is what they want. (laughs) You learn from this episode, listeners. Incept your clients. It'll be fine. (laughs) If you can hook them up to a dream machine on a plane, everything will be fine. And they'll do the work for you. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that learning point of do inception on your clients is the perfect way to wrap up right down i think that's that's the message we want to leave on right <laughs> yeah, yeah sure okay <laughs> we've gone from think about empathy to just trick them with dreams <laughs> dreams are real what's real i don't know exactly exactly well if people do want to follow you and dreading sundays and all that kind of stuff where can they find you across the internet DKC. Well, you can find me on Twitter mostly. My handle is at Daniel K. Chung. And that's probably where I'm most active. I'm supposed to be active on LinkedIn, but I frankly don't have the time to get into thought leadership. <laughs> so I'm too busy working. Fair, fair. Of course, you can go to dreadingsundays.com as well and find all of the fantastic episodes there. Like I said, big fan of the podcast, so I highly recommend if you do listen to Search with Kanda. It's a very, very nice companion piece. And like I said, you'll have some crossovers. You'll you'll hear Dan on this show. You'll hear Jamar on Dan's show and Jamar on my show as well. We've both had Catherine Watier-Yong on. We've both had Chloe Smith. 
lots of fantastic guests and we touch on different topics as well so don't feel like just because if, if you've listened to my episodes interviewing that person you shouldn't then go off and listen to dan's interview as well because we do i know you and i have a very different approach to podcasting but still coming at it from different angles and perspectives there so yeah appreciate that thank you very much and thank you for joining me Dan. it's been an absolute pleasure lovely to finally talk to you it has been thank you so much And that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you once again to Daniel K. Chung for joining me. Absolute pleasure to talk to one of my favorite people in SEO podcasting. I'm hoping you enjoyed it and found it as insightful as I did. I will, of course, be back again next week with more fantastic SEO guests and SEO news. As I mentioned last week, Mark and I will be trying to get back into a more regular schedule. We've had some fairly crazy schedules for the both of us recently and trying to get back into a more regular update for the seo news side of things whether that's going to be a live stream or just a more regular episode of the podcast with us together i'm looking forward to having more conversations with mark and discussing the seo news as well as having all the fantastic guests we will continue to have throughout the end of the year heading towards to 2023 as well so with that in mind thank you very much for listening we'll see you next week and have a lovely week.